TGIF, we made it, and uh, do not adjust your dial. This is the Patrick Johnson Show, a fresh edition here on 94.3 The Game. You just got done listening moments ago to the Logan Zone in its premiere episode. Great to have you along as the college football season opens with Week Zero. We'll explore the schedule with Doug Martin, former ECU offensive coordinator, college head coach, and uh, OC in the USFL. He'll be with us. We'll talk about the Week Zero schedule around college football. Also coming up in just a little bit, uh, we're going to be talking to an author, Greg Fiercy. He's written a book, Gridiron Legacy. It's about the true origins of professional football. I think you're going to want to hear about it and find out where you can get this gorgeous book. It is a real thick, it has a lot of pictures in it book, but the stories and uh, the research is tremendous. So stand by. We're going to tell you about that uh, coming up. And uh, a couple of other things as we get going here on this uh, Friday edition of the PJ Show. Wanted to tell you about a couple of games in the area tonight of interest. Tonight, the Rose Rampits are at home against Northeastern. We're taking you there at the top of the hour. Actually, at 10 till, we'll take you there as it will be Croft Massey and RV and company covering that matchup from Percy Daniels Stadium. Rose with a big win last week as they rallied to win going away in the fourth. Other games of interest tonight. Aiden Grifton in the county, stepping out of county to play at Martin. The game will be played at Riverside. That's at 7.30. 7 o'clock, it's D.H. Conley at Washington. South Central 1-0 at Franklinton. Farmville Central will host North Lenore. JP2 will visit LAAS. After a win last week, 1-0 North Pitt is off this week, and they will play South Central at home next week. Other games across Eastern North Carolina on this week two of the high school football season. Top of the hour, Northside Pinetown at North Duplin. Green Central at 0-1 Kinston. Pungo Christian in eight-man footballs at Matamesquite. Croatan at Pamlico County. West Craven is at East Duplin. Good matchup there. Southside at Washington County. Topsail at Dixon. Hunt at Bettingfield. Norfolk Christian will take on Manio in the Outer Banks. Southern Wayne will visit Goldsboro. First flight at Catholic. Rocky Mount Academy in eight-man visits Halifax. Wayne Christian at Harrells. Crusaders thump the Patriots of Parrot Academy last week. Speaking of APA, they will be at home tonight at 7 against Northwest Halifax, a public school. That'll be an 11-man game. It's Nash Central at Southwest Edgecombe. Eastern Wayne at CBA Cock. East Carteret welcomes Ashley from Wilmington. Out of the Big Carolina Conference, New Bern at home to host Northern Guilford. Hertford County travels to Tarboro, who won last week, defeating Rocky Mount soundly. Pasquatank at Gates. Richlands at Southwest Onslow. Bertie at Holmes. That game will be heard on 103.7 WTIB. Fike at Northern Nash. It's Havelock at Laney. That game heard on Oldies 94.1. South Lenore at Jones Sr. Wilson Prep hosts East Columbus. Northside Jacksonville entertains the Swansboro Pirates. Beargrass Charter at home against Union. White Oak at Jacksonville. Big rivalry matchup there in Camden County at Perquimans. So that's your high school football slate. Again, Rose coming up at the top of the hour. will begin action at 10 tilt. Right now, a timeout on the Get You to the Weekend Football Friday edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. And we'll talk week zero college football and more with Coach Doug Martin right after this. So the college football season will get underway this weekend, week zero games. We'll talk that. We'll talk some of the other craziness going on. Doug Martin, the coach with us here with uh, the New Orleans Breakers of the USFL as the OC and, uh, of course, coached 
as the offensive coordinator under Steve Logan at uh, East Carolina before being a head coach at uh, such football powers as Kent State and New Mexico State. Actually, the job we joke about that coach, but the job you did at New Mexico State should be forever celebrated. <laughs> well, it took 57 years to get them to a bowl game. We finally got them there, so it was a big deal, Patrick. And uh, you know, I think I think I'm one of only five or six coaches in the history of Kent State to get them bowl eligible. So yeah. those are two tough jobs, but a couple of rewarding seasons. So it was all worth it. And now you're on island time, so life is good for. <laughs> and that really, man, that really makes it worth it, right? So, uh, some interesting games um, for week zero: thirteenth ranked Notre Dame and Navy in Ireland. Uh, so this will be interesting. Marcus Freeman's second year as the head coach. Navy's got a new head coach. So, uh, how much does the dynamic of playing in Ireland change things up? coach do you think yeah in, in, yeah i think anytime you travel that far it, it, it's difficult but I mean, i'm sure they've been there for quite a while and you know notre dame traveled first class so they've probably been there for a week or so treating it like a bowl game um so i, I don't know they would have the dynamics that it would normally and i think notre dame you know such a talented team and with navy being with a new coaching staff and all that it that's gonna be a difficult game for navy so uh, the other game that is involving kind of a high-profile high uh, team, number six, USC, will host San Jose State, who's had all kinds of issues with the coaching staff, uh, including yesterday. Uh, so, I mean, there's some real problems there. Um, Lincoln Riley, big jump at USC in his first year. They go from 4-8 and eight and 21 to 11-3 and three last year. Of course, everybody remembers the Tulane comeback against them in the bowl game. And uh, I've got to imagine that uh, Coach uh, Riley and Caleb Williams and others are, are ready to roll. Yeah, I mean, anytime you have Caleb Williams, I mean, he's a, he's a difference maker. I mean, they, they just don't make quarterbacks like that very often. So he really separates them from everybody else. And, you know, really the only pieces they were missing last year was defensively. You know, if they play any defense at all, you know, they're going to beat Tulane last year. And, and really, every game they lost last year was kind of like that. So, I, I would expect them to be much improved. You know, they got another year to get into the transfer portal. They were able to get a couple more defensive players to help them out. You know, that's going to be a scary team for people to play. I'm actually going to get to see them at the end of September. Uh, Vicky and I are going to go out and watch Arizona State because my son-in-law is coaching Arizona State, and they're mm -hmm. playing USC that night. So, oh, wow. that would be a nice game to see. Uh, the great Doug Martin joins us here on the uh, Football Friday Get You to the Weekend edition of the Patrick Johnson Show. Ohio at uh, San Diego State. Any thought on that, Coach, or just move on? Hey, that, that's going to be a good football game. Okay. I tell, you what, tell us uh, about Ohio, it. <laughs> listen, Ohio University does a fantastic job of coaching and playing. And, you know, Frank Solich was the longtime coach there. You know, retired, but they handed the coach, uh, head coaching job over to one of his assistants who's done a fantastic job. So they had continuity when they flipped. And I think last year they won eight, nine games and played really well. And they've got just about everybody back. They've got a really dynamic quarterback and they just don't beat themselves. And then San Diego State is really a power conference team. You know, that, I mean, they will be a yeah. power conference team before long. They've really invested in facilities. They've opened up a brand-new stadium on campus. Brady Hoke's the coach there. I've known Brady for a long time. and 
they they have tremendous talent in San Diego and that California area to recruit to. And, I mean, they can beat a lot of people. And, and like I say, I'll, I'll be shocked if they are not in a major conference here pretty soon. Coach Doug Martin can talk about any team in the, in the country. All right, I'm going to throw this one at UTEP and Jacksonville State. This is Rich Rodriguez as the coach of yeah, Jacksonville State. That's a scary game for UTEP. I know UTEP, Dana Demmel is the head coach there. Dana has done a great job. Uh, Dana, Dana actually has a Steve Logan tie. He, he worked with Steve at one time. A really good football coach, and uh, he thinks he has his best team coming up oh, this wow. year. He, he, they were in a bowl game two, three years ago and had a good little run. Uh, in fact, I talked to Dana just about two weeks ago, and he really he's really excited about his football team. He's really worried about this football game because Jacksonville is another one of those teams where they've got talent. People don't know about them, but they've got players. And Rich Rodriguez coming in his first year there, you know they're going to be – really physical and run the ball and you know there's some unknowns because he hasn't really seen you know what their whole staff is going to be about so that's going to be a dangerous game for UTEP should be a pretty good football game and uh, it's the uh, first year at the FBS level for Jacksonville State they're one of two teams that jump from the FCS level so you know they're, yeah, they're going to be hyped don't let too. that fool yeah don't let that fool you too much because they've got FBS talent I mean they've always mm -hmm. been able to get transfers in there and you know, guys that maybe got kicked out of, you know, Alabama or Georgia or things like that always end up down there. So they, they've got some good players. All right, got three more. Uh, your New Mexico State fighting Doug Martins will host UMass. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, boy, UMass has really struggled. I, I, I can't imagine – that's kind of a pillow fight game, actually. You know, I don't know. That, I don't know that either one of those teams. Are, I don't know either one of those teams are going to put a beating on anybody. But uh, I, I do know. You know, UMass will play good defense. And Dave Brown, the head coach there, longtime assistant coach, defense coordinator, was up at Michigan for quite a while. They'll be a little bit better, but uh, yeah, that one's a pillow fight. It's week zero. Uh, Doug Martin is with us. Hawaii at Vandy. Speaking. Speaking of which, possibly. Yeah, you know, it's that Vandy. I, I'd give Vandy a big edge there. I said they really kind of made a move last year, improved quite a bit. I think the coaching staff there is doing a really good job. Uh, a little more talented than what they've been the previous year. They should be able to handle Hawaii. Hawaii has gone through a big transition when they changed coaches and they had a lot of players transfer out. I think somebody's told me they had the most players of anywhere in the country transfer out mm. a year ago. So it's really been a rebuild for them. It's going to take a while to get them going again. Uh, and then Florida International and La Tech. Yeah, yeah I think uh, I would give La Tech an advantage in that one. Florida International is a really difficult job. It's probably got the most limited resources right now of any any of those programs in the group of five, or at least one of the ones that have the most limited resources. Uh, coach McIntyre does a really good job of coaching down there. His dad was a longtime coach at Vanderbilt. Uh, he was a very successful head coach at San Jose State. I mean, he knows what he's doing. Uh, and I think he's got them headed in the right direction. But it's going to be a while before they get to where they're really competitive. That's another one uh, where uh, FIU had a bunch of their best players leave for power five teams in the off season. So, um, yeah, you know, when you're recruiting in Florida, you're going to get talented players. And, and that's one of the problems with the transfer portal right now, Patrick, really, when you're a program like them and you're trying to get over the hump, 
and you're doing a great job of recruiting and developing players, you know, the second you get them developed and they pop a good year, then bam, they're transferring yeah. out to go somewhere. It's, it's making the group of five life for a coach to, to build a program really, really difficult right now because you, you've become a minor league for everybody else. Yeah, I know that's frustrating. Uh, the great Doug Martin is with us. It's awesome to have him on. We are going to talk to him every Friday. Of course, the Steve Logan show uh, in the five hour. We're in the six hour on Fridays. Uh, but Doug Martin, it's uh, it's five o'clock somewhere. I'm not saying Doug is enjoying a cocktail, but it is five o'clock somewhere when you're at the beach. So, and that's where Doug is- Martin is. Continually five o'clock down here. All, all I got to do is secure it by getting the boat. I convince the wife into the boat. Then we're good. Then we're set. How close is that to happening? It's very close. It's oh, close. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's close. She she doesn't know it yet. Okay. It's close. <laughs> um. So uh, this week is the final weekend before the week one game. So obviously we know what. Everybody playing in week zero has been up to probably this week. So what is this week like ahead for, let's say, East Carolina, for example? Um, practice today, but we'll have tomorrow off and then kind of get back to the normal schedule that you have in season starting Sunday. So uh, give me an idea of what coaches are going through in this uh, week that they just had and this week coming up. Yeah, at this point, you're really finalizing game plans and things like that. Uh, probably starting to do a lot of scout team work at this point. We're really honing on not only your first opponent, but a little bit on the second opponent also during camp. So probably pushing in that way. You've got some some issues coming up when kids start school. You know, there's always a, a difference when the freshmen go to school for the first day and trying to find their classes and all those type of things. And, you know, then they come to practice and they're kind of out of sorts. And I always hated that first day of practice when school started because you just knew – at least the freshmen, the younger guys, the new guys were going to be a little bit disoriented that day. So you're going to have to get through that. And then it's just getting getting healthy and getting fresh for that football game, especially for East Carolina playing a team like Michigan. You know, Michigan's got great team speed. So, you know, East Carolina needs to be at their fastest level going up there to play, which means you've got to be rested. You've got to be prepared, but you've got to be rested. And it's a really a fine line to work to walk there. Uh for the Michigan game, it was announced this week that uh, it is going to be a three-game suspension, so Harbaugh will not be on the sideline. Uh, you know, he'll, he'll be there at practice presumably all week. Does this make any kind of difference in anything for them? No. I mean, if, if he was calling plays, if he was an offensive coordinator still and he was calling the plays like he used to and coaching the quarterback, then that there's something to that. Then that, that's a little bit of a blow. But, you know, he's not doing that now. He didn't do that last year. So he'll be there all week in practice. He'll set everything up for how he wants it done. He'll be, I'm sure, in their uh, meetings the night before the game and those type of things. And then his assistants just have to handle the game. So the only way it'll come into a real factor, Patrick, is if it is a really close game down in the fourth quarter and, you know, maybe Michigan has to make a decision or go for it on a fourth down situation or, you know, to fake a punt or fake a two. So one of those decisions you have to make, then you're going to miss Jim Harbaugh in that in that area. But unless it's something other than that, then it, it's really minimal. Coach Doug Martin with us. The word of uh, teams leaving or actually entering the ACC, uh, Stanford, Cal, and SMU leaving the American to do so have, has all of a sudden 
uh, heated back up. So what do you – we've talked about it, but now, I mean, this this is interesting. I mean, I, I don't see how SMU's going to – if it's true, the reports are true, they're going to take no money from five for five to seven years to, to make the move. And yeah. limited it, money for Cal and Stanford. But, I mean, for SMU to do that, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm telling you, SMU has money now. That, that oh, yeah. program, yeah. that's to me, that's another one of the programs that could easily be a power conference program. And it was back in the day, the Pony Express, and they were in the Southwest Conference. And, and you know, uh, they had Eric Dickerson and Craig James and all those guys. I mean, tremendous program. And they still have all that backing. It's a private school, it's a fantastic academic school. It's a, to me, it's a really good fit if the ACC wants to expand. That is the one school that is a good good fit because then it's going to give all the other ACC schools a footprint in Texas for recruiting. You're mm-hmm. in Dallas. I mean, what better area could you be to go in there and, and steal some recruits and things like that? So I think that's a good move. The others, you know, all the way from California, I, you know, there's difficulty in that. But I think the ACC, in my opinion, is in a little bit of a – a transition and a crossroads here because I think they've got the threat of possibly losing a couple of schools in the next couple of years. It sounds like, you know, Florida state's making a lot of noise about what they're going to do. I know Miami has pursued a lot. There's going to be probably a couple others. Um, you know, the SEC is going to expand again, you know, so how involved are they in talking to those schools? And so if you're going to lose those or anybody out of the ACC, you got to have a plan to add some. And the sooner you add them, the better it is. So, to me, SMU is a really good one for them to add if they if they can get that done. I know they won't do it in football because they're independent, but I would I would have Notre Dame since they were so hot and heavy on this. Every year they got to play three road games: men's and women's basketball, two in California, SMU. Without fail, I send them there every year. Yeah, and Notre Dame doesn't care because they're a national brand anyway. I mean, they're going to recruit nationally all over every, every private Catholic school in the country. They're going to recruit, so they love nothing more than going out to California to play, you know, play Stanford and all that type. So that doesn't bother them. Um, I, I don't know that I would give them that much weight in the in the ACC unless their football is going to move. Yeah, into it's the crazy. ACC. I don't understand I don't it. That I know it's Notre Dame and all that type of stuff and everything, but uh, you know, unless they're really going to buy in to being a part of the ACC totally, then to me, they shouldn't have that thing. Do you ever see them, before we let you go, do you ever see them having to join a conference? I mean, I guess a lot of it depends on ultimately what may happen with access to, to well, playoffs and all that. You know, the advantage they have, Patrick, is because of their brand and they've got their own TV uh, you know, program and everything set up where they're going to be on TV every week. Um, so, you know, they, they're tied into bowl games all by themselves, too, without a conference. So, you know, the conference thing doesn't, you know, they just don't need it as much as everybody else. I don't see them doing that. I think they're going to wait around and see what happens with this, you know, and you and I have talked about this before, this super conference. That mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it's looming. The the major schools, the Alabamas, the Georgias, the, you know, USC's, the Ohio State, those guys, I'm telling you, they're going to separate from everybody here before long, and they're going to have their own little deal. It's going to be almost like professional football. It's not going to be college football, but they're going to separate from everybody, and Notre Dame will be a part of that when that happens. And they may be waiting to see what that looks like in the next couple of years. All right, uh, Coach, great to talk to you. Have a great weekend, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you uh, next week. Absolutely, Patrick. Enjoyed it. There's a fascinating new book out about the origins of pro football in our country, and 
It tells a story that you might not know. We'll talk to the author of that new book right after this. Back in on a Get You to the Weekend Football Friday edition of the PJ Show. I got a book last week uh, that is a gorgeous book and a fascinating book. Holding it right now. It's pretty heavy. Uh, Gridiron Legacy. In fact, we showed it on the show uh, a while back as well. Pro Football's Missing Origin Story, Greg Fasiri. Did I get it right, Greg? Greg Fasiri is with us on the program. Hi, Greg. Hi. Morning, Patrick. That's good. Thank you. So I'm looking at this uh, book, and I mean, it is this is high quality. It's gorgeous. Uh, and uh, if you're a fan of, of football, as we all are, uh, and, and Greg even uh, discovered, even uh, signed it to me, which I appreciate. Um, I mean, the, the endorsements alone are a who's who of, of, of football. Franco right. Harris did the forward. I mean, this is this is quite a book, and I think it's very comprehensive too. Thank you. I, I, I wanted to make it substantial, give it some street cred, if you will, with, with a lot of those endorsements uh, because they, the Hall of Fame and several historians and former players do recognize its, its significance. Um, it, it's changed and added a, a lot of missing links to the, to the narrative of the history of pro football. So how would you, you know, the elevator speech, uh, how would you describe it before we get into some of the particulars? So the subtitle pro football's missing origin story is, is pretty on point. It's lost, right? No, nobody knows how pro football started in America. Right. Uh, even players in the Hall of Fame. If, if you ask any of them, why is the Hall of Fame in Canton? Troy Aikman, Jerome Bettis, you mentioned. I've met several others, top researchers, supposed experts. Uh, nobody knows. I mean, like 99.99%. So it's a huge, huge opportunity. Um, that fell into my lap in a, in a family lore kind of way. But, uh, so I had to do it. I'm not an author by trade. I, <laughs> I inherited some photos. I'm just a finance guy, a humble, you know, business guy in, in Atlanta, born in Pittsburgh, the birthplace of pro football. Um, Troy and others would say, it told me that, well, didn't, wasn't pro football, you know, born in Canton. Uh, no, it wasn't. It, it was born in Pittsburgh and, and and they say, well, what do you mean? How did that happen? Well, it started there in 1892 when the first guy got paid to play, according to an accounting ledger that the Hall of Fame discovered in the 60s. So they call that the birth certificate of pro football, and it's on display in the rotunda in the Hall of Fame, which is a timeline. But after 10 years of trying, it failed just from a business model standpoint. They never thought it would make money. But then some amateur teams in Ohio, Maslin, uh, first, brought my great-grandfather from Pittsburgh with three of his teammates to play for them and, and sort of under the table, um, sneakily, start to dominate the Ohio State Championship, which was always amateur, but then it became professional when people realized and the other teams realized what was going on, and it really took off until 1906 when it blew up and died for about a decade in an alleged mysterious gambling scandal that has never been known exactly what happened. And that's the real key to the story mm. and, and solving that mystery, which I did was the biggest challenge and, and uh, interesting part of the, the narrative. It also talks about the legacy of some of the, uh, the players. And I don't mean necessarily on the field players, but some of the actors, I guess, or, or 
key principles in, in all of this and the litigation, as you mentioned as well. So, I mean, there's, I mean, it is a comprehensive twist and turn sort of book. Uh, Greg Fisher is with us, uh, Gridiron Legacy, and uh, it's available wherever you uh, you buy books uh, now. Why did so? Why why was it not a hit when it started in Pittsburgh in the 1890s? Because we've always been a really uh, sports crazy country in a lot of ways. So what were was it just bad business or did it just not catch on? A little of both. Uh, college football was king first. First it started in 1869, right after the Civil War. Princeton and Rutgers played the first game. Um, the Ivy League ran with it. Yale, Princeton, Harvard, the big three. Yale really led the way. Walter Camp, the father of American football. Uh, amateur adult uh, people wanted to continue playing. Afterward, Pittsburgh had a lot of money in the Industrial Revolution, Carnegie's, etc. A lot of these amateur clubs formed and, and allowed football. Um, as, but it had to be amateur to, to stay, for them to stay in the AAU and, and all of the sports, mm-hmm. which we still have today. So um, eventually, though, you know, compensation got in the mix. What, but at first it was soft compensation. It was memberships and watches and jobs and food and things like that. But eventually, of course, with rivalries developing, uh, somebody got paid. And that happened in 1892. And, and it went on from there. But within the next you know, week by week, literally, when people, other teams figured out what was going on, they would start paying some players. And then by five years later, you know, team full teams were openly professional. But as you said, from a business standpoint, it, it never made money. So that wasn't going to keep going. Um, there were a few very good teams, so the attendance was very low early in the seasons when they play their kind of warm-up games against amateur teams and colleges. Mm-hmm. And it all, you know, they needed revenue from the big games, the championship games at the end of the season. And by then the weather was bad. So all you'd see <laughs> snowstorms and floods and fields washed. And, and so they wouldn't get the, the turnout that they needed. And one by one, teams started folding. And by 1902, there was only one pro team left in Pittsburgh. My great-grandfather was on that with the okay. legendary baseball player, Christy Mathewson, uh-huh. who sort of, sort of a, one of the greatest three pitchers of all time, played college football at Bucknell. He was sort of a show horse a little bit to, to get you know uh, people to, to try to come out, but didn't really work either. So 1903, um, the shift to Ohio happened, and, and, and it kept going. Uh, Greg Fissery is with us. Gridironlegacy.com is where you can also go to uh, order the uh, book. Um, so I'm glad you kind of brought up your, your great-grandfather because, as I, as I kind of understand it, an old picture sort of got the ball rolling, I guess, from your grandmother's house, got the ball rolling on this project a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Imagine a scene in a movie, if you will, and maybe there is one down the road. There might be a script in the works where a young boy is standing in his grandmother's house looking at a couple old pictures on the wall with his great-grandfather um, in them uh, from some world championship football teams before the NFL, wondering what it was all about. And that's kind of how it started. Um, they, my, I knew my great-grandfather was the patriarch of our family. He was a very successful 
businessman who had a an financial services agency named after him in this little town of Wilmerding, Pennsylvania, about 10 miles east of Pittsburgh, that was a Westinghouse air brake uh, company community. And a lot of the family lived there and apparently was very prominent, knew the Westinghouses, but, you know, very, still very humble, in, but a, a little higher standard of living than the rest of the community. So they were leaders. And so the story went that his professional football career helped him establish himself and not just his athletic ability, but also his integrity and character as an eighth grade graduate who had to go to work to feed, help support his family, like many in Pittsburgh, rose to be the captain of world championship teams filled with Ivy League educated All-American players. So that was unusual and something that I wanted to understand and something we were proud of. So still very little known. And it wasn't until she passed away in 2007 and I cleaned out her house that I discovered a, a big box of more photos from his career that I knew was instantly was very special. I ended up getting to the hall of fame and they validated how unique it was and called it the, like finding an original constitution from them for them and um, encouraged me to research the narrative and, and do a book. It has a field of dreams feel to it, which I think is maybe even mentioned or referenced in the book. But I mean, just hearing you explain it, I mean, it is like a it is like a movie, and it it has that sort of nostalgic feel about it. Thank you. Some people have pointed out that if I were as handsome as Kevin Costner, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'd all be in the maybe, movies, <laughs> right? There's there's an extra part in there for you somewhere. Um, that. It's like I, I had a calling, sort of a build it and they will come or, or heal their pain kind of thing, which is more to, on point um, about the Black Sox scandal in Field of Dreams in 1919 that these athletes were, were accused of tainting the game that they loved. And, and in eight men and baseball, they weren't allowed to play. And basically this football scandal, while it was unclear if they were guilty, which the Black Sox were. Right, yeah. Um, they, they, their legacy has been lost as the heroes and pioneers of the game. So effectively, it's very similar. It's kind of the field of dreams of football that these guys, their story, they, they want it to be told. And, and, I, and I think it fell to me to figure it out and try to honor them, which I've done by solving this scandal and without giving too much away, that it gives uh, a, a really positive light to, to the birth story of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Greg Fissery, uh, and the, the web best website is gridironlegacy.com. You can, uh, you can kind of follow everything there uh, and uh, order the book. Uh, beautiful hardcover book. Uh, it's got a ton of photos, but it's not a, a photo book per se because of all of the, the stories that are told. I mean, and, and, it, and it is a very... I don't mean easy read in the sense that it's uh, elementary or anything, but I mean, it is a, a, a fairly easy uh, read as far as uh, don't let the thickness of the book frighten you off, I guess is what, is what I'm trying to because I tried to make it as entertaining as possible. Yeah, no, it's not it, just it is. It, history it's, with dates and right, scores, right. but the, the, there's a lot of excerpts from newspaper and the language back then was really rich in, in, in the vocabulary and in their phraseology. 
So I tried to include as much of it because it was really entertaining. And, and the, the rivalry that Maslin stirred up with Canton really to sell newspapers and, and sell tickets for their team was, was uh, really enjoyable, as well as the, the cold case and the mystery of it. So everybody loves an origin story and a cold case, football. And so I think there's a, in, in the never-before-published photos to animate the stories. There's a lot there for people to enjoy. Let me uh, – so, I mean, the one photo sparks this. How much – how long did you work on the book? Uh, basically 15 years from oh, wow. the time that I discovered those photos. Uh, to, a lot of it was research, probably the first half, seven or so years was research and, and figuring it all out. And it was just going to be for my family and it grew. And, and as I discovered more and more things that the hall of fame and, and others were interested in and, and, and said were revelations and, and unique that I had to do more with it. So, I didn't really want to write it. I, I tried to get Michael Lewis from The Blind Side you know, to, to write it or, or Laura Hillenbrand from Seabiscuit. You know, somebody, anybody but me, I didn't have time. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I, a publisher eventually said, I, I will only do it if you write it because it will have your voice and passion in it. So I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, c- a couple th- – well, so I was going to ask you, was this a hard sell for the publisher, but – uh, obviously you, you mentioned that well, getting the hall of fame on board. Was, was that a process? Not at all. Um, when I took my, uh, the trip in 2012 out there with, and, and drove out with my mother since it was her grandfather and sat down with them for what was supposed to be an hour meeting. And we, I laid all these photos out on the, on the table and, and they kept us there for a good three hours. Uh, just enjoying and, and conversing and uh, talking about possibilities fr- from it all. So they, they were captivated right away and, and had all sorts of ideas about exhibits and books and um, new new possibilities and narratives, things to do with an, a, a new origin story for, for the game because they said they had nothing much from that period. So they've always been very... Uh, kind and supportive of the project. Uh, who, now, who's your team? Who do you root for? The Feelers, of course. <laughs> Being from I, I, I knew. I just needed to. You know, I wanted. <laughs> do you do you pull for the birds? Are they your NF, NFC team on any level? The, the Falcons. Oh yeah, yeah. We we try. It's kind of like rooting for the Pirates in Pittsburgh. It's just a little <laughs> frustrating. You know, the twenty-eight to three thing. Uh, oh. was, yeah, was, was tough. <laughs> yeah, our buddy Wes Durham, who calls the Falcons games, remembers that all too well. Uh, Gridiron Legacy, GridironLegacy dot com. Greg Fissery, this is an amazing book. Uh, if you are a football fan on any level uh, and you like history, this what a great combination this is, and it, it is well worth uh, your time and uh, well worth the read. It is a it is a beautiful book, and uh, it's it's one thing. I don't think you'll put it down if you pick it up, but it's one of those things where. You could pick right up if you, you know, maybe have life intervene and you go a day or two without being able to to read it or uh, and could get right back into it. Hey, Greg, really, really wonderful to speak to you, and I appreciate your time uh, tremendously here, and best of luck with the book. Thank you, Patrick. I enjoyed it. Yes, me too. Uh, great to have you on. It is Gridiron Legacy, Greg Fiercy. Uh It's great to have him on. All right. 
We are getting ready to send you out to J.H. Rose for football tonight against Northeastern. But before we do, we're going to wrap up business here, tell you about next week. Stay tuned. All right, what a week and what a day today with the return of Steve Logan. The Logan Zone made its triumphant return to radio. And big thanks to Doug Martin for joining us on the show. We'll talk to him uh, every Friday during the football season right here. And uh, also thanks to Greg Fiercey, the book available, Gridiron Legacy. Check it out today. Make a great gift uh, for uh, Christmas, but uh, also just a, a great gift for any football fan out there. All right, so Monday... I'll be hosting Inside ECU Athletics with special guest Mike Houston alongside Steve and I go from tiebreakers right here at 6 o'clock on 94.3 The Game. So we are going to bring that to you live. We'll have the Patrick Johnson Show 5 till 6 right here on 94.3 The Game Monday. And if you're with us on social media, we'll be getting that done around 3 in the afternoon. Check uh, our social media for that. Jay Sunalder will be with us, and I'm sure we'll have more on this situation with expansion in the ACC, and we'll get you ready for the Pirates as they take on Michigan. It is game week. Thanks to our staff, Philip the Ref Pilkington, Dom Kasolke, and uh, everyone else involved. And I hope you have a great and safe weekend. I'm on Friday Night Rivals in the Triangle Market with Sonny Sunholder at 7 o'clock. So check us out there. My RDC is where you can go online to watch that live if you're so inclined. Have a great weekend, everybody.